you are one decision away from changing your life forever. Hi, this is Greg, one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian. We all want to make the right choices today that lead to a better tomorrow, but too many of us are living with regret, guilt, and challenges simply because we are too distracted. In this series, we will take a look at the seven principles that you can gain wisdom from to help you make godly choices today with a future story in mind. The choice is yours. Almost 30 years ago, I was sitting in a class called uh, Strategies and Skills in Youth Ministry, and it was taught by a professor named Mike Farah. Now, at the time, I actually had no intention of ever working with youth. Like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I figured I was going to go through Bible college, I was going to get out of Bible college at like 22, and I was going to start working at a church as a preacher right away. And so I, I remember thinking that I didn't even want to take this class, but it was required, and so I took it. And so just kind of interesting that until the age of 40, I was working with teenagers. But this Strategies and Skills in Youth Ministries was actually my favorite class all throughout Bible college. Um, it, it was an academic class, and we had to read things, we had to study things, we had to take tests. But the things that I loved about that class so much was just that it was real. Like I felt like our professor... Uh, just shared things that were real about ministry, like the books that he had us read. Like, they weren't just academic books. They were things like In His Steps. Uh, there were books like Order in Your Private World. They just were things that, that dealt with our spiritual development and who we were. And so I, I remember loving that class, even though I had no intention of working with teenagers. But, but there was one point in the class where he said this to all of us. And he looked at us, he says, you will never have more free time than you do right now. You will never have more free time than you do right now. And that may have been true for my classmates, but I remember thinking that statement cannot be true in my life. Because at that time, I had no free time at all. I went to school three days out of the week, and I lived at home here in the San Fernando Valley, and we commuted down to Orange County, and so every time we went to school, there was like an extra four hours added on because of traffic. I also was working 24 to 30 hours a week at a grocery store, and so Lucky's was where I was working, and so I would spend a lot of time at Lucky's. Uh, at the time, I was also leading a college Bible study here at church, and on Sunday mornings, I was helping in the children's ministry. Uh, Steve Benkert was actually in charge of it at the time. It was called Promised Land, and so I was helping out in there. And so I remember, as a matter of fact, while I was in Bible college, I'd be sitting at the grocery store in the break room on my lunch break, sitting there with all my books, trying to write Bible studies for that week's Bible study. And so I remember when he said that statement, I remember thinking, please tell me that that isn't true. But you know what? It didn't bother me at all until a few weeks later. A few weeks later, I was at church, and I was talking to a young lady that was also in our college group, and we were kind of talking about our schedules. And as we were talking about our schedules, I kind of told her about just how full my schedule was, going to school and going to work and help, you know, leading in the college group and helping in the children's ministry. And when I told her what my schedule looked like, her response was, man, you have too much going on. Aren't you stressed out? I hadn't been until that very moment. Up until that very moment, I had been just fine. But all of a sudden, I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I was spread too thin. 
And, and most of you, many of you, could probably relate to this at some point in your life. You just don't feel like there is enough of you to go around. And in that moment, that's where I was. In that moment, I just didn't feel like I had anything else to give. Today, we're, starting, we're going to look at the second sermon in our series, The Choice is Yours. And we're going to be looking at the story in Exodus chapter 18. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 18. If you have your Bible apps, that version app that Pastor Rob mentioned earlier, you can go ahead and open it up to Exodus chapter 18. Because in Exodus chapter 18, we're going to be taking a look at a guy who was being spread a little thin. But before we, before we get to Exodus chapter 18, I kind of want to give you a little bit of a background in the book of Exodus. If you were to open up your Bible and start reading in the early chapters of Exodus, the early chapters of Exodus tell us about the birth of Moses and his early life story. And so without getting into all the details, you know, we know about Moses, but in his early details, one of the things that happens is as he's starting to grow is Moses ends up fleeing Egypt and going to the land of Midian. And so it doesn't, he doesn't just spend a little time there. The Bible tells us that, that Moses spends 40 years in Midian. And while he's there, he gets married. He has a couple of children. Like, he has life in Midian. And so eventually, as we know the story of Exodus, God calls Moses to go back to Egypt to, to bring his people out of Egypt. And so there's all kinds of stuff that goes with that. But in Exodus chapters 13 and 14, that's what's taking place. If you know your Bible, you know that in Exodus chapter 20, that's where we find the Ten Commandments. But those chapters in between, those chapters in between where Moses is bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, and in Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are given, man, I'll be honest with you, the Israelites, they really kind of stress Moses out. If you were to sit there and read through them in Exodus chapter 15, you would read that the Israelites begin to grumble because they're thirsty, Okay, Moses, is just, Moses and the Lord have just brought them out of Egypt, and yet they're grumbling because they're thirsty. And so in that section in Exodus chapter 15, the Lord provides water for them. In Exodus chapter 16, we read that the people begin to grumble again. Why are they grumbling this time? They're grumbling to Moses and Aaron because they are hungry. God answers their grumbling. He gives them the manna and the quail. And then in Exodus chapter 17, if they hadn't already complained enough, once again, they're complaining to Moses because they are thirsty. Now, I'm not an incredibly patient man. As a matter of fact, somewhere in the world right now after saying that, my children are saying amen, and they don't even know why. Amen. But I am not an incredibly patient person. And as I read through this, man, I, I would have had no patience for their complaining. I would have had no, no ability to listen to their whining about the situation. And so Moses, he's surrounded by grumbling and he's surrounded by complaining, despite the fact that God has continued to watch over them time and time again. And we don't really know when in the story. Maybe they never even went with him. But at some point, Moses had sent his wife and his children back to Midian, where his father-in-law was. And so now as we get to Exodus chapter 18 and the first uh, like 12 verses, what's going on here is, is Moses' father-in-law has heard that all that God has been doing 
And he, begin, and he brings Moses' wife and his children to Moses. Moses' father-in-law Jethro was coming for a visit. And so in those first few verses of Exodus chapter 18, we read that Moses and Jethro, they greet each other. And Moses goes through the story and he tells Jethro of all that God has done. And really, instead of bragging about himself, Moses gets an opportunity to brag about what God has been doing. And so we're going to pick up this story in Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 13. As Moses is starting a typical day for him. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. It says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? while all these people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses answered, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. Imagine if your in-laws came to you and there's what they said to you is, what you are doing is not good. He goes on, he says, you and these people who have come to you will only wear themsel- yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves, that will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, And God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. You know, as we talk about this passage, I I want us to look at some things in here that make Moses a good leader. And so all of my points are are going to be about Moses as a good leader. But just because I talk about what it means to be a good leader, it doesn't mean that they all shouldn't apply to all of us. Like, like I'm going to reference all my points as a good leader does this, a good leader does that. But I want you to know, as Christians, these things should all be true about each one of us. So just because I say a good leader this or a good leader that doesn't get you off the hook if you're sitting there at home going, well, I'm not a leader. Okay, because we're all leaders in some ways. So here are the things that I think we learned from Exodus chapter 18 with Moses about leadership. The first thing is that a good leader gives credit where credit is due. You know, in those first verses, chapter 18, verses 1 through 12, we didn't read them. You could read them for yourself. Uh, But Moses knew that the secret to his success was not his own abilities. 
He knew that the secret to his success had all been due to the working of the Lord. And so as he recounted these things to Jethro, it, it was telling him all that God had done to deliver, the, to deliver the Israelites. And he made sure to give the credit to the Lord. And so if, instead of patting himself on the back and talking about how great he was for leading the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses knew that he needed to give all the credit to God. And so a good leader gives credit where credit is due. Now, as we get into the section that we actually read, the second thing I want you to notice is this. A good leader can listen to criticism from those that they trust. A good leader can listen to criticism from those that they trust. You know, I told you, Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 17, Moses had been hearing the people grumble and complain plenty. And I'm sure that his patience had been worn thin. But now... He's hearing some instruction from someone that he respected. And you know, as people, we have to learn to ignore criticism from people that deserve to be ignored. We have to learn to just pay no attention to criticism from people that should be ignored. But we also need to learn to open ourselves up to the advice and criticism from people that we should be listening to. Sometimes we need to shut it down, and sometimes we need to open our hearts and listen and say, well, what's really going on here? Jethro was one of those people for Moses. That was somebody he needed to listen to. Moses clearly had a good relationship with his father-in-law and respected him. And so it made it easy for him to listen to his sound advice. You know, and it's interesting as you read through there, Jethro sees that Moses is busy. But he also sees that his life is not sustainable. And it wasn't healthy for Moses or for the Israelites. Moses needed to do less, and the Israelites needed to do more. Moses was busy, but he still wasn't able to get the job done. Now, I'm not old enough to remember the heyday of the 1960s and 70s for, for the uh, UCLA Bruins men's basketball team. Uh, but John Wooden, their great coach, wrote a lot of different books on leadership and about inspiring people. But one of the coolest things in my life was when I was just in my 20s and I was a teacher here at West Valley Christian School, uh, I was uh, coaching basketball. And, and me and one of the other coaches got sent to a coaching clinic that was down in Palm Springs. And, and there were lots of great speakers. But one of the highlights was John Wooden speaking at, at that uh, coaching clinic. And he shared lots of information. He talked about his pyramid of success. And if you know anything about John Wooden, he's got this pyramid of success. And I'd encourage you to look at that. But one of the phrases that he used just really stuck with me. His phrase was, don't confuse activity for achievement. And what he meant for that in basketball is this. A player could be running around on the court. They can look like they're expending a lot of energy. They could be doing a lot and yet not accomplishing anything because they're not running in the right places or hustling at the right times. And so he says, don't confuse activity for achievement. And as I look at this story in Exodus chapter 18, I kind of think of that with Moses. Moses was busy, he was active, but he wasn't getting the job done. He had a full day, but he wasn't achieving what he needed to. And we can get so busy with life and yet still be neglecting the most important things. Think about that. We can be so busy in life 
and still be neglecting the most important things. We can be busy and yet still be unproductive. You know, this is one of my, the causes of my lifelong hatred for meetings. Um, except for staff meeting at church, of course. I love that, okay? But I, I have a lifelong hatred of meetings. And, and I'm not saying that all meetings are pointless, but, but my philosophy has always been send it to me in a memo and hold me accountable for what it says in that memo. And most of our meetings could then be canceled, okay? But, but Moses, he hears the criticism from Jethro here, and he hears the encouragement from Jethro here, and he ignores it. No, that's not what happens. He hears it. That's not what we read. Jethro tells him that he needs to stop, what he needs to stop doing, and that he needs to do something different, and that he needs to change. And he does. You and I, we may not like to hear criticism, but don't we all need accountability? Like, like it's not comfortable for us. But we all need people around us that will tell us those tough things. And Jethro was that man for Moses. We all need people that can speak into our lives and that can talk to us openly and honestly and say things to us even when it's a little painful. You know, Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And I want you to think about that first part of that verse for just a second there. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted because that when someone that we know loves us and comes to us like Jethro did to Moses, our response should be to listen to them and to know that their words might hurt a little bit, but maybe, just maybe, there's something that we should consider in what they're saying to us. Like instead of just ignoring it, like maybe we should, there's probably lots of people that want to speak into our lives that we should ignore. But wounds from a friend can be trusted. Someone that's close to us, that we know has our best interest at heart, when they come to us and tell us about changes that we need to make, we should be listening to them. Which leads us to the next point, which is this. A good leader is willing to change. A good leader is willing to change. You know, another word for change in the Bible is repentance. And repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in our behavior. A change of mind that leads to a change in our behavior. So in Moses' case, he has some wisdom shared with him by his father-in-law Jethro, and he agrees that he needs to make some changes, and he does it. He doesn't just listen to Jethro and say, well, maybe that sounds like a good idea, and then goes on. He listens to what his father-in-law says, and then he changes. This This goes way beyond being just a good leader. Because every single one of us, repentance is important for every single one of us as Christians. You know, I've been going to church now for over 30 years of my life. And I work very hard to try to do God's will for my life. But I still need to repent every single day. I still need to change every single day. And you know, this side of heaven, heaven, every single one of us will need to be repenting and changing on a regular basis. Repentance, being willing to change is so important. Paul, in his second letter to Corinthians, writes this, starting in chapter 7, verse 8. 
He says, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, and, and we don't know if that's the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians or if it's a different letter that we don't have. But it says, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. He said some hard things, and it, and it hurt, but yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow, these are the key verses here, 10 and 11. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. And so Paul is encouraging them, and he's talking to them about the importance of sorrow. But more than just sorrow, he's, he's, he's talking to them about the importance of repentance, changing their mind and changing their actions. I really think this is one of the reasons why or the importance of God's word in our lives come into play. We may not be surrounded by Jethro's every day, but God has left us his word to be our guide. God's word is our instruction manual, speaking into our lives each and every day. You know, Pastor Rob talked last week about the importance of reading God's word. And if you were to read through Psalm 119, it talks repeatedly about the importance of spending time in God's word. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, says, How could a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Rob was preaching out of John chapter 21. And if you remember, that story takes place after the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and so before Jesus' death, he had told Peter that he was going to deny him three times. And Peter was like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And despite Peter saying that wouldn't happen, we read shortly later in the story that indeed it did happen. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Luke, and I don't even know how this possible, is possible, but this must have been so painful for Peter. Peter, Because the Gospel of Luke goes so far as to tell us that after his third denial, Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. The very next verse, Luke twenty-two sixty-two, tells us that Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. And I would bet that those weren't little tears. I would bet this was probably full-bodied weeping and sorrow because Peter had done something wrong and he immediately knew it. And even though the Bible doesn't say this, I think we could assume that he immediately regretted it. You know, there's another one of Jesus' followers that did something wrong in the story, Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus and helped the authorities arrest him. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us that Judas regretted what he had done. And after giving the money back, that he had been given, it tells us that he went out and he took his own life. Both Peter and Judas had done terrible things. Both Peter and Judas felt bad about what they had done. And I know there are some scriptures out there that talk about Judas like he was in trouble, uh, but I truly believe that if Judas had repented and turned back to God, he would have found forgiveness. That if he had truly repented of what he had done, he could have turned back to God and still found forgiveness. 
So my question for us is this. What is God looking for from us when we realize that we are sinning? He's looking for us to change our mind. He's looking for us to change our mind and then have that change of mind lead to a change of our behavior. In our story today, Moses is told something that he is doing that is not good. He's told that he needs to change. He's told that he needs to do something different. And in response, Moses listens. He stops. He changes. And both he and the Israelites are better off because he has stopped. He's paused, and he's changed. And, that, and those results are found in our next point. But, and this is the, the key point as we think about our sermon today. This is the key point for each and every one of us because this whole series is about choices. You know, and last week, Pastor Rob was talking about starting Trying to start with Jesus, start where you are, and to start one thing. And so hopefully this week, you were thinking about that one thing that you needed to start. It could be, it doesn't even have to be something major. It could be something so small. If you remember, uh, Pastor Rob shared Craig Rochelle's one thing he started one year was just flossing his teeth. Okay? That's not a difficult one. So hopefully this week, you were thinking about what it was that you could start. But the story of Moses teaches us that sometimes the choice we need to make is to stop and to do something differently. That we need to repent. We need to change our mind and change our actions. And I want each of you that's listening to this today to think about this for yourself. What is it in my life right now that I need to stop? What is it in my life right now that I need to stop? Because the truth is, most of us don't need our father-in-law Jethro to tell us what it is that we need to stop. Most of us, we already know. Like we know because we live with the guilt of it all the time, or we live with the shame of it all the time. And I don't want to go through every possible scenario out there for all of us, but like I said, most of us don't need a Jethro to tell us what it is. You know, because sometimes we are clueless. Sometimes we are completely clueless to things that we need to change. But I like to think that most of us, we're pretty aware of the things that we need to stop. Um, if you're like me, I am painfully aware of changes that I need to make in my life at all times. I don't need someone to tell me. And so if that's you today, then right here, right now, is the time to repent. Right here, right now, is the time to say, I need to stop this, and I'm going to. Last week was about starting. Today is about what do I need to stop. Today is a day to change our mind and to change your actions. Don't wait till tomorrow, and don't wait till it's too late. You see, a lot of times we have situations in our life, and we think, hey, I'll wait till tomorrow to make a change, and we don't get that tomorrow to make that change. Or tomorrow comes, and then again we say, ah, tomorrow I'll make that change. Today is a day to choose to change. The, the last thing that I want to mention about Moses in Exodus chapter 18, and these things all work together, and, and, and again, I say this as a good leader, but this is true for all of us. But, but it says a good leader learns how to delegate. Like that's what Moses needed to learn. And we have to learn how to delegate as well. Some of us need to learn how to ask for help because the results can be disastrous if we don't. Not only for ourselves, 
but the people that we care about, the people that we are supposed to lead. You know, the truth is we all need help from time to time, and we shouldn't be afraid to ask for that help. Now, there's an old story, and you may have heard it before, um, but whenever I think about this point, I think of this story, and and I'm going to read it to you. Um, But there's an old story that, like I said, I've read it many times, uh, but it's a story about a bricklayer. And this bricklayer is filling out an insurance form. And this bricklayer, what he had to do is he had to move 500 pounds of bricks from the roof of a five-story building. He had to move them to the ground. But the problem was he had to try to do this all by himself. And so he wrote on the insurance form, it would have taken me too long to move the bricks by hand, so I decided to use a pulley system on the top of the building. I secured it and ran a rope. It went down to the street and secured the rope. Then I went back to the roof and put the 500 pounds of bricks in the barrel. I went back down to the street and untied the rope to guide the bricks down. Unfortunately, since I weigh only 145 pounds, I was jerked off the ground so fast I didn't even have time to think of letting go of the rope. As I passed between the second and third floors, I met the barrel coming down. That accounts for the bruises and lacerations on my upper body. I held on tightly to the rope until I reached the top and my hand became jammed in the pulley, which accounts for my broken thumb. At the same time, however, the barrel hit the sidewalk with a bang and the bottom fell out. With the weight of the bricks gone, the barrel only weighed about 40 pounds and my 145 pound body began a swift descent. And I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for my broken ankle. So that only slightly, I continued my descent and landed on the pile of bricks This accounts for my sprained back and broken collarbone. At this point, I lost my presence of mind completely, and I let go of the rope, which brought the barrel crashing down on me, and this accounts for my head injuries. As for the last question on the form, what would you do if the same situation arose? Please be advised that I am finished trying to do this job all by myself. It's a silly story. But the point is, we all need to learn to ask for help. We need to learn how to delegate to other people. And some of us, as we're listening to this today, you're trying to do everything on your own, and you need to come to the same conclusion as that bricklayer. And hopefully, you'll do that before you suffer the same kinds of injuries to your body and mind that he did. Some of you need to decide right now that you're done trying to do everything by yourself because of the damage that's being done. You know, in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro sees the harm that Moses is doing to himself, and he has the courage to say something about it. And Moses responds by making the necessary changes. Again, I ask, as we close today, are there changes that you need to make? Are there changes that you need to make today? If Jethro could speak into your life today, what would he tell you that you need to do different? You know, we all have things to work on. And so I would encourage you right now and this week to be thinking about that. What do I need to do differently? What do I need to stop, hit pause, and maybe change? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, we thank you for the example of Moses. And Father, we thank you that actually that not all the examples in the Bible that we see are perfect. We see that they're real. And so I pray that you would help each one of us, Lord, Uh, Just as last week we thought about what it is that we need to start, that this week we'd be thinking about what is it that we need to stop, what is it that we need to change, and give over to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find other people to help us, to hold us accountable, and to encourage us. 
Father, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity to be together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember, Lord, your tender mercies and your love. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. And your love that you've always shown me. You forget all my rebellions that you've always